Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we're going to be reviewing the film The Book of Clarence. Sarah, kick us off with an IMDb summary for The Book of Clarence. Struggling to find a better life, Clarence is captivated by the power of the rising messiah and soon risks everything to carve a path to divine existence. (laughs) As you do, (laughs) of course. As you do, yeah. Totally normal. Who hasn't done that? Right? That seems like the best option. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for The Book of Clarence. Sarah, what was yours? Mine is, it's hard to become an apostle. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's hard to become the 13th one. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's That's a tough job, but somebody's got to try. It is. Yeah. We've seen some valiant, valiant attempts (laughs) throughout this movie. Uh, My one-sentence summary is, Honey wine may come and go out of style, but oppression looks the same. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. Oh, all right. Well, let's start off with our initial thoughts of the Book of Clarence. We'll keep our thoughts at a high level in this first section, and then we'll dive in fully into this movie in the second half. So, uh, Sarah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts about the Book of Clarence. This worked for you. Yeah. Yeah, it totally did. Uh, I had a great time with this movie. Uh, I think that it's absolutely hilarious in like the first section. And the way that this is structured is also pretty fascinating to me because it starts out as this like really like lighthearted romp and it's just utterly ridiculous. And then over the course of the movie, things start to turn a bit and there's Uh a giant tonal shift. And you end up at the end of the movie just being like, oh my gosh, what did I watch? Um, and I just, I I think it's so interesting how it's structured and, and how uh, the film uses humor to just like pull you in and then basically sucker punch you by the end of the movie. And it does it so well. And there's so much, I think, in this movie to think about, to consider. Um, for me, like it had me, it, it helped me to kind of see stories that I, I know well, maybe from a different light. And I thought that that was really interesting, too. It has a lot to say around, as you mentioned, oppression. There's some police brutality in there, empire, all of that good stuff. But then there's also thoughts about, you know, religion and what does it mean to be a person of faith and how does belief influence our actions and and all of that. So there's just a lot of meat to this in addition to being a really wild, fun ride. Which is just so impressive to do, especially with Mm -hmm. subject matter like this. Like there's, this could have easily been just a total just derailment and uh, really insensitive. But I think it's just such a testament to James Samuel and his emotional intelligence, the sensitivity he has to so many big topics and to do things in an incredibly um, uh, insightful way, but also very strategic. There's just, I mean, there's so much that's unexpected about this movie. Like you mentioned that tonal shift, I think is one that I, I didn't see coming because we start off with such lighthearted, uh, fun, content and it's really funny and uh by the end of the movie we're like are we doing this are we really going there oh we're going there no we're doing this and um I think it it actually lands that plane really well because of that contrast and that shift that happens there's so many fascinating and really insightful parallels that I think this movie is making between um the, the the biblical story and some of the power dynamics and relational dynamics of that. And, and like you mentioned, stories that may be familiar to some of us. And then uh, the, the parallels to things that are so present and top of mind now in our society and, and in America. It's just, it's so insightful. And 
his ability to do that while also getting you to laugh is very wildly impressive. I was thinking a lot about Jojo Rabbit after this movie ended because I think that Taika and James Samuel have that same uh, just emotional sensitivity to know how to tackle something that's really meaty and really charged and and topics that are so uh you know, emotional for so many people and to, to, to kind of look at it from a totally different lens and to make it funny, but not uh, too much so to the point where it feels like it's insensitive. That's a really hard task and that can end really badly. And for it to not, I think is just such a, a, a triumph. So that, man, there's just, there's so much in this movie to think about and ponder. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to dive into it because there's a lot here. And I'm also just impressed by by James Samuel and the decisions that he's making and the types of movies that he's making, because we reviewed The Harder They Fall a couple of years ago when that came out. And so, so that good. is a, so good. Such a great movie and a, a different take on the Western, which is one of the biggest genres that you can get. And now here we have his take on a biblical narrative. You know, it's a, it's a period piece again, like this very uh, famous and like well-trodden genre of movie. And, and in both of these, he's been able to put such a spin on it and uh, also connect it to things that we are dealing with today. Like you said, so I, I'm just appreciating his ability to take a tried and true genre and and do something unique and interesting and different with it and use that that vehicle to make us think about things uh about our world today i think that's really insightful and i can't wait to see what he does next like yeah. what is your next type of genre that you're gonna break into and and use to i don't know blow our minds a little bit mm-hmm. and i think what's also like what was quite impressive to me is James Samuel knows his movie history. Like there's so many Mm -hmm. themes and, and filmmaking choices around the cinematography and the set design and whatnot that are so resonant to that, like golden era Hollywood in uh, the fifties and sixties with movies like Ben-Hur and the 10 commandments that are, have these like sweeping vistas and these large sets and, and kind of go big on the production side. And, there's so much like thematically, even in those, um, the, the title cards that kind of break mm-hmm. up the three acts of this movie are so resonant yeah. from old Hollywood. Like he's done his research. He knows his stuff. And so that he knows deeply this genre, he can then reimagine it in a way that feels simultaneously kind of straddling between um, those, those beloved pieces from the past, but also bringing this fresh modern take on it. And that is when you know that you've got an artist that really is grounded, but also has a lot of fresh ideas to bring. That is, that is thrilling. That's exciting. Cause there's other versions of like innovators that uh, just kind of totally reject uh, the things of the past and the roots of a genre like this, that is so established and so tried and true and to totally reimagine it is, is so thrilling. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's great. Like, yeah, I, I think especially for a, a movie fan who has watched those other movies, like this just helps. It, it's honoring of, of those movies and, and what's already been done, but it's also bringing this like fresh perspective of it and, and updating it to our times. And it's it's fascinating how he was able to balance that while also introducing all of these really rich and important themes and and these complex characters that we get to watch. Like there's so much going on in this movie. And if you're a movie fan, there's so much to appreciate with this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited to talk about some of those filmmaking uh, choices that he, that he employs in this because um, we talked about this on, our episode reviewing the harder they fall, but it's fascinating to see the way that his, his musicality is brought to this visual storytelling medium in and marrying that with so much of the, the choices made in the score, like all of it's working together really, really well. Um, That chariot race in the opening Mm -hmm. scene, I think is 
such a perfect example of the way that he is playing to so many of the superpowers that he's cat from his other backgrounds um, and bringing them to this artistic medium. Like you just, you can see it and feel it so, so palpably. And, and that's thrilling and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a particular fight scene that made me think of the harder they fall because it's this this perfect marriage of the score, the cinematography, and the fight choreography, and they're all working together, and it helps just make everything all the more exciting, all the more tense, uh, and and that's one of those scenes where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I'm watching this in a theater and not on my couch at home. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So good. Yeah. And there's so like, I mean, the movie's littered with scenes like that, where even in a conversation with lines of dialogue, the music is so aligned to thematically what's happening. And then also is supporting a lot of the the comedic bits as well. So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, all right. Well, let's include a spoiler alert here. If you haven't seen the book of Clarence, we recommend checking it out. Uh, it's out in theaters. Please go watch this movie before continuing to listen to the rest of this episode. All right. Where shall we go first? I mean, we're on the topic of kind of his his filmmaking style and all that. Let's talk about some of those scenes that really stood out to us before we get to some of the thematic parts of this movie. Tell me about that fight sequence. Oh, I loved it when when he is fighting Barabbas uh, to try and free I guess him, not all the slaves. Um, there were there was just so many moments that I was reminded of that final fight scene in The Harder They Fall. Uh, and, and there's so many similarities between the two. And I, I think there's a lot of movies that uh, the, the score is really good and, and helps you emote and helps you better connect to a film. But I feel like James Samuel takes it to a whole nother level because he's also doing the music for this as well. And so you can just see how all of these pieces connect together and, and how he's not only this really great and insightful musician, but he understands how music and movement blend together to help make a scene even more electric, even more exciting. So that, that fight scene uh, between Clarence and Barabbas, I think really uh, captured that for me. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And I think um, in, in, in general, like he, James Samuel seems to understand that the absence of emotion, the absence of sound, the absence of visual creates opportunity for those explosive moments to really feel big. I think the the problem we get in a lot of these like action movies today is that it's so one tone and it's just barreling right at you for like 10 minutes of like punch after punch after punch or or you know big explosive fight sequences that are just they just they keep going at that same volume or they start really loud and they get just somehow louder. And uh, James Samuel understands that musically it's that contrast, that differentiation that creates that feeling of, of a bigness when we are trying to hit a big explosive moment. And that chariot racing was also a perfect example of that. Like, we are we know how to ebb and flow and we know how to go big in the moments that need to and then bring us back down and and bring the volume both visually and musically and audibly down so that when that next big hit comes it feels big and explosive and i just thought that like that was so uh well established in this movie and i think if you like zoom out even more just thematically he seems to understand that as well we're gonna lay the foundations for this to seem like a fun lighthearted romp but it's that contrast with the ending that really then gives you that sucker punch right in your gut right in your heart that actually lands that even better than it would have if it just kind of we were primed for it from the beginning so man i mean watching that opening chariot sequence i was like this is how we do great action you know like just the creativity and the shots as well I thought was so so good there's like a close-up shot of just sand getting blown uh up into the air from uh the chariot passing by and like little little things like that that just feel so so fresh we've seen a million races through a city 
in action movies from all of our favorite franchise IPs and new <laughs> new content as well. And um, to see a good race through a city sequence, that was exciting. And I think one of the reasons why that works so well is because you actually feel like you're there uh, and not in like a like cheesy gimmicky way, but it's in those little things of like you get to see the larger landscape behind, you get a shot of the sand, you get to see uh, like how close uh, the chariots get together. So it's all of these things that we've seen before, but somehow they are uh, just cut together and intermixed with the the score and the dialogue and you feel like you are in that chariot with Clarence seeing what's going on and so just his ability to make this film that immersive is is really impressive and and I think in order to do that all of the technical components need to be working together perfectly to really make you feel immersed and I think the book of Clarence really achieves that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's it's uh, challenging to do, and I think that because the movie starts off with that too, it kind of sets the tone for like we're in the hands of of someone who knows what they're doing, and there's there's like a beginning of a trust uh, to give yourself over to the movie when you experience that right off the bat, which is really really great. Uh, it also allows for um, setting that initial tone for book one of like who this person is. Like we meet this character when he's in the middle of like this this big uh thing that he's trying to accomplish and and make some money on and it fails like what a way to get introduced to these two kind of protagonist characters from the beginning as well like right in the thick of one of their little schemes and operations that goes awry and again it's it's that understanding of story it's understanding of audiences that we don't need all of this exposition like you can just drop us into the middle of the action and we will learn everything we need to know about the characters in the midst of that action sequence you know like we don't need to know okay this is Clarence and this is how he ended up in this spot and here's 10 minutes of explanation no that's boring just plop us in we will catch up and have a blast doing it. So I, I think to your point earlier, like James Samuel just understands story and he understands how to structure a great story to get us hooked, to pique our curiosity so that we are willing to go on this really dramatic ride with this character. And I also love that it's this like really explosive introduction to Clarence uh, so that we get to see what he's like under pressure, what he's like under stress, and the results of his bad decisions, too, all wrapped up in this chariot chase. And so I thought that that was just such an efficient way to introduce us to this character uh, and a way to spark some questions in us early on so that we're we're willing to continue watching to to maybe get some of those questions answered. Yep. And the other thing that it does is uh, checks that box of, man, James Samuel knows this movie history because like so many of those mm-hmm. uh, yep. movies that the that chariot race seat is resonant from were about spectacle and being big and dramatic and people, you know, went to the movies to see something that was dramatic and thrilling and adrenaline inducing Uh because it was the magic of the movies. And so to start off with that as well, I think was also really quite smart uh, as far as uh, grounding us in this genre, this beloved genre from the past, um, but doing it in a very different way. The journey we go on is very different from those other movies. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I, I love how this movie uses fun and humor uh, instead of just being, you know, your traditional buttoned-downed biblical epic drama, you know? <laughs> our, our entry point into the story is action and humor and fun. And then along the way, after we've gotten to know these characters, after, you know, they've endeared themselves to us, then we start to see the more dramatic elements of this really start to come up. And by that point, we're invested and, and we are emotionally able to go on that journey. Whereas I think if this had been more traditional and and a little bit more uh, like straight laced, then it wouldn't have had the emotional punch uh, at the end. It still would have been, you know, weighty, but I think using humor was such a smart way to 
get us invested and connected in Clarence and his story. It's so true. Yeah, it's disarming in the best way, you know, because like you mentioned, because this this genre, specifically like the biblical story that is incredibly like uh, grounded and uh, dramatic and all of those things and and big in a lot of ways uh, that we may we go in with so many preconceived uh, notions about what the story is supposed to be and what it looks like. And and I think a lot of the biblical story is, and is um, familiar to much of us in the U.S. And so the humor really is disarming. It really like forces us to like expand out beyond the closeness that we have to this genre and really be willing to uh, open up our minds to so many of these other connections that he slowly begins to show us and reveal to us. So many of the connections to um, themes and and issues that are important for us in America today. And I think only if we're able to kind of like break out of those boundaries that we've subconsciously set for ourselves for these genres and these types of movies, only then can we kind of begin to let our minds wander to those places that he invites us into, um, which is which is so good. Let's talk about some of those. Um, what were some of those themes and connections uh, beyond this kind of this micro story and the macro level that really stood out to you? Well, so I'm going to like half answer your question. Uh, one of the things that I've that I really appreciate about this movie is how it's really made me think about some things and, and reconsider just the, the bent of some of the things that I've, I've been taught, you know, so like spending a lot of time in church, I know the story of Jesus. I know the story of the crucifixion and the way that I remember it being taught was that, uh, Barabbas was this really, really bad guy. You know, the Bible says that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. Uh, But I remember it being like really emphasized when it was taught, like this evil dude was released. I mean, a pastor wouldn't say dude, but like this evil man was released so that the perfect son (laughs) of God would then go to die. Like it was like really, really emphasis how bad Barabbas was. And that could be the case. I don't know. We we will never know because the Bible doesn't say. It just says insurrectionist and a murderer. Um, but this movie shows a Barabbas that I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm kind of with him. Like mm-hmm. he's he's fighting against the empire. He's standing up for his people. Is he using the best means available? I don't know, but it's the best that he has available to him. And he is trying to to protect. He's trying to take care of his people and fight against the empire. And that's not a bad thing in my book. So it was just interesting to watch this movie and have this character presented so prominently in a way that I never imagined him to be. And like, the book of Clarence isn't trying to be, you know, biblically accurate, but I love that that Barabbas was included in this and he was highlighted so prominently because I don't know, it, it just I, I think it's healthy to like re-examine our beliefs and, and re-examine the things that we've always been told. And and this movie really helped me to think about this this biblical character in a different light than I ever had before. And and it's also making me think about you know, the ways that certain parts of like the white church have, have, I don't know, been more aligned with empire and, and those kind of teachings. And that just kind of ties into all of this. So I think this is just a really interesting movie to just take and think about and, and let your mind kind of wander and see if there's any other things that that we've been taught or that we've come to believe that maybe isn't as healthy or maybe isn't being informed by the best things and, and just, I don't know, re-examine some things. So I didn't think that the book of Clarence was going to be like this really deep, thoughtful exploration, but it, it led me down some interesting roads. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's along that same vein, I think, I think in general, the positioning of, uh, this this story uh, is inviting us to challenge or re-examine some of the established, well-entrenched, established ways that we've thought about these stories, um, and then also to b- bring that kind of connection point. But one of the one of the areas that I think 
is the source of many comedic moments in this movie, but I thought was really insightful was around just the whitewashing that we do of Mm -hmm. narrative. And, you know, this is a theme that clearly James Samuel was captivated by with The Harder They Fall as well around uh, the whitewashing of the Western genre and the way it's been portrayed in media and and who cowboys were versus how we've positioned them to look like, feel like, and it's, you know, at this point in America, such a uh, grounded uh, part of the way that we view like masculinity and how we've shaped that idea of manhood in the U.S. just from 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 media and in a lot of the same ways, the Book of Clarence invites us into that same uh, questioning and reexamining of the whitewashing we've done of the story of who Jesus was. And there's that whole bit with Benedict Cumberpatch, which I thought was just so great. And even in one of the most like deeply emotional moments of this movie around the crucifixion, there's still that little, that little sprinkling of flavor um, and, and comedy around um, someone painting <laughs> Benedict Cumberpatch yeah. as white Jesus, which I thought was just you know, like perfectly timed. Like it was a really heavy emotional moment and it can quickly kind of uh, bring us out of that in, in the ways that we need to so that we don't get stuck and kind of wallowing in, the, in that feeling and that emotion. But um, the whitewashing of the narrative is so uh, much a part of this movie. I, I, there's a version of <laughs> a one-sentence summary that I had around um, James Samuel does what Bridgerton was trying to do, but like 10 times better. But it's basically like <laughs> when we put people of color in these roles that we've traditionally thought to be white because that's a story and visuals that we've been given for so many, many, many decades, um, it invites us to really think about like what was – who did who was Jesus? And the likelihood that he was a blue-eyed, white, <laughs> pale, white man yeah. um, really isn't likely <laughs> to be the case. So uh, – I loved the way that this movie was able to do that with so many of the characters, not just Jesus, but, you know, so many of the other important characters from the biblical narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that. I don't know. In, in some ways this almost felt to me like a celebration of like black faith traditions. Um, and just that acknowledgement that, I don't know. Christianity and faith is not all about white people. <laughs> and I don't know, that shouldn't be some like controversial thing, but in some circles it is. And, and I think that honestly, I think like white people in particular should go see this movie. I think white people of like a Christian background should definitely go see this movie and just, I don't know, be challenged by it and, and allow the humor to disarm and, be able to re-examine some of these things because like you said Jesus wasn't white so (laughs) I don't I don't think we should continue to try and like center white Jesus um and then once we like extricate ourselves from white Jesus it's like okay maybe there are some other things that we need to separate ourselves from too like empire and (laughs) there's some stuff in here about like police brutality and oppression and things like that that definitely need to be grappled with and I think using a a biblical epic to explore those themes is really really smart especially because the bible and Christianity has been weaponized against people of color specifically black people for centuries so it's this movie is doing so much to reclaim the story put it in a different light and also highlight like faith and beliefs tie-ins to all of these uh oppressive systems that have been set up all while making you laugh and then cry at the end Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's such an examination of the state of America today but also kind of our roots there's that that really great scene uh where uh, Pontius Pilate, I think, says is basically jabbing at something along the lines of like, "Oh, your your Jesus said that all men are created equal, and like, not that is not valid and and not true here mm-hmm. in the case of Rome." And I that felt like such an intentional choice of words to come from that character specifically, and because so much of our roots and kind of the ethos and the narrative we've told ourselves as Americans is so centered around that specific phrasing too. 
that it just felt so powerful and intentional and it coming from this kind of like Roman uh, leader of this, this specific area, man, I just thought that that really hit home too. Mm-hmm. And there are so many really smart lines in this so many and and there are some like that that are an indictment of america i think that there's some really interesting like biblical parallels so like when he says or when he frees all the slaves and then he says don't tell them my name that's something that the bible says that jesus did a lot so Mm -hmm. i was like oh my gosh you also know your bible which is great especially when you're making a (laughs) biblical epic like you know that's helpful but then there's also like really funny parts that are just so silly so um so like he when when Clarence is professing his love he says I'm spirit over sandals in love with you so it's all of these like really (laughs) smart really funny lines like it's just so well written uh I'm just I'm I'm so impressed with this movie it it really hits all the boxes and it's it's so much fun it's so witty and funny but also while you're laughing it'll make you think about like we've been saying these really important topics for where we are as Americans and things that we I feel like need to grapple with and this movie is just inviting us to come on in and and think more deeply yeah yeah I love when that happens when you finish laughing right you know at the tail end your your laughter's kind of calmed down you're like oh wow actually like oh my mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that, yep. that that like like the initial uh you know delight from the joke kind of uh falls into your lap and you're like oh this is why it's funny oh my goodness in the best way you know like oh there's so much there that my delight is just but to the surface of of that point, that larger thing, and like then you're down that whole rabbit hole, uh, and the movie keeps going, and you just want to dwell in that moment. But uh, the moment's over, and then you've got to collect all of those things, those moments after the movie's ended into your little bucket, so that you can think about them later. Those are some of the best moments, man. Uh, mm-hmm. So good. Uh, one of the moments that I think is like top ten so far of most memorable theater moments that I've had in my lifetime. It's the Jedediah, the terrible, and he has that speech around um, basically insecure men are the ones that are Mm -hmm. often most, uh, you know, gravitating towards oppression and it's the source of their feeling of lack, that whole fabulously written um, kind of monologue that he gives. And there is a woman in my theater probably like third row of the theater. And she audibly is like, let's go. Come on. Like, like just filling her so fully and, and resonating so fully that it was just, it gave me chills. I was like, this is the power of art to feel so seen and to feel so excited by something that you just can't hold it in. And I was like, man, that's going to be, one of the most memorable like movie going experiences. I mean, we talk about the way movies resonate with us and spoke to us all the time on this podcast, but to see that like overflowing of emotion live in someone else too, in the theater was just so, so exciting. So that was incredible. That was really incredible. Testament to this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And honestly, that speech deserved it. That speech was so good. <laughs> was fabulous it was fabulous yeah uh okay other things that we wanted to talk about this movie uh can we just shout out lakeith stanfield uh he's great in this and what i really loved is that we get to see him playing two different roles uh him as thomas's twin brother uh and I, I loved how different they were. And he was able to give both of them these really uh, well-rounded, full performances. And both of them go through character arcs. Obviously, Clarence's is much bigger. Uh, but we get to see growth and change in in both of them. And, and Lakeith does so well in, in the fun, lighthearted, raucous moments. But then he's also so great in those really, really hard moments too. And, 
and it's just nice to see him in a leading role like this where he's he's able to fully showcase his range because it is it is quite impressive and he does a great job carrying this movie range is the perfect word to use in what he's able to display in this i mean so accurate he does really understated subtle like deep emotional stuff through the character of thomas and and he doesn't get a lot of like big moments but the the ones that he does just the way Lakeith can emote with his eyes is absolutely magical. But then he can do the like big, wild, hilarious stuff um, with him and the character Elijah as well. I mean, the man is doing everything. I mean, the amount of times in this movie, I was like, why is he so good? Uh, just mm-hmm. he's, he's bringing it. What is also fascinating too is Lakeith as an actor, I feel like has chosen such intentional roles as well. And, and, the types of characters and the movies and creators that he chooses to work with are so carefully chosen. And so each one is so powerful that I, I really appreciate just kind of his, from his, from a career perspective, the way that he thinks about the choices and roles he takes on and where he invests his time on projects. I I just am kind of in awe of that as well. They all feel so meaningful and personal to him um, are, are carrying forward a message and a, a type of art that is uh, boundary breaking in so many of his choices. So I'm I'm really always keen to see like what what he's in uh, because they feel very intentionally uh, chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I don't know I I love Wes Anderson. I will bring this back to this movie, I promise. And I, one of the things that I love about Wes Anderson (laughs) is that he Uh has created this little like family of people and, and he has his friends who are in all of his movies or almost all of his movies. And so I would really love it if James Samuel can do something similar and just have Lakeith in all of his movies. And that would be lovely. So that is, that is my request that... (laughs) uh I don't know we just see more opportunities for these two who are so good at their respective crafts and are very good when paired together just able to make more boundary breaking thoughtful insightful movies like this that would be great yeah no that's so true yeah let's see this one chart its course over Many, many decades, please, just continuing to right? make new things. One of those, like, one of those, like, director-actor partnerships that is just, there's some chem- something going on there, some chemistry, some magic that sparks between them, and they just keep putting out good stuff. We've seen, we've seen uh, a few, you know, gems like that in, in some of the, the directors of today. Yeah, I love it. I'm mm-hmm. here for it, too. Yeah. I don't know if they're friends, but... In my mind, I would love it if they were friends <laughs> and they just had a great time making movies together because that would be lovely. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. Other, other, What were some other themes that really stood out to you or other aspects of this movie that you wanted to hit on? Cool. Yeah, I think something really interesting uh, that this movie does is that contrast between Thomas and Claire. Clarence I think is super interesting because I they're twins raised in the same house raised by the same mom um and yet they find themselves in such different places in life and I feel like the character of Thomas is is such an indictment on some of the ways that like we walk out faith whatever that faith may look like and the way that it's so easy to get so wrapped up in this new belief or get so close to this like new group of people that we forget others and and we forget you know the like loving other people portion just to focus on the loving the people that we hang out with and are friends with so i i think i think thomas provides a really important contrast for for us to just examine like how we live and how we do relationships with other people, especially if those people believe something different than us. And so I thought that that was such an insightful 
character to include, not just from like a story perspective, but also as a yet another opportunity to reflect and think more deeply. Oh, that's so good. And I, and I think that um, you see that Thomas has an arc too over the course of this film as well, you know, and him uh, beginning to see the ways that he has maybe been blinded and been, uh, you know, just so wrapped up in this new world and this life and this community that he's taken a part in that he's also uh, forgotten aspects of, of his past and, and his family and his community that he's come from. And you see that he he begins that process of reconciliation and coming back to and and reestablishing some of those relationships by the end of the film. So, you know, Thomas isn't in this movie as a lot. He doesn't get a ton of screen time, but like even he has a full a whole arc um, as well that I think is really, really quite fascinating as well. And the, the other thing that I think is interesting about that foil between the two of them is um, how much Thomas is – uh, almost a stickler for like like beliefs and and uh, truths that he's been taught and like kind of kind of buys into them without maybe questioning them fully. You know, like the amount of times that uh, you know in conversations Thomas will say like, "But but like this is true," and like you're not following the rules, you're not doing it right. And Clarence, on the other hand, is just to hell with the rules and the boundaries. Like, let's do what's uh, efficient what is outcome and results driven and and you see his journey as well with with him beginning to recognize that there's bigger forces at play and 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 purposes that he cares deeply about uh beyond the like momentary uh, gains that he's looking for so that whole scene where um he chooses to free the gladiator slaves, I thought was like really powerful and showing Clarence's emotional journey that he goes on as well. But that foil between kind of their, their willingness to, to buy into systems and rules and to not question them. And they are kind of on two opposite sides of that spectrum and find themselves by the end of the movie, seeing the nuances in uh, their approaches and coming a little bit closer to a more balanced uh, view of both of them, I thought was really meaningful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so good. And, and I think we see both of these characters to, you know, grappling with their own selfishness and pride and, and seeing how both of these two go about that in very different ways. And, and so I think like you mentioned that, that moment when Clarence frees the slaves is such a powerful moment because up until that point, he had been essentially looking out for himself you know he's doing all this so that he can pay off Jedediah and and that was it and he didn't really have a plan after that it was just get the money to save yourself the end and then as he's going on this journey he actually realizes that there's a lot more to life and there's a lot more that he could be doing and so it's it's really fascinating that Clarence starts out really selfish and like uh, exploiting people's faith in order to make money to serve himself. But then he gets to a point where he's like, wait, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need to use this for the good of everyone. I need to use this to actually create liberation for these men. And so I just, I loved that scene. I thought it was so powerful and it's such a good uh, start of a sh of a tonal shift in this because I feel like up until that point it really is fun in games and then that like middle section is like fun in games plus seriousness and then the last third is pretty much just seriousness so that's such a good character moment and such a good uh moment for the movie to shift and start to like lead us to where it's finally gonna end Oh, yeah, that's so good. That's so true. And I think that like that scene right after the chariot race, um, when uh, Clarence has that conversation with his mother, I think is so important to one, grounding this character uh, for us emotionally and, and bringing that connection with the audience around the emotional kind of motivations of this character. He talks about wanting to prove himself to be somebody because he feels like a nobody and um, they, they, they don't have much and, and they feel the lack just from a resource perspective of 
him wanting to be able to provide for his mother and to create safety and security for her. And so like everything that he does after that, you know, even all of his exploitation and taking advantage of people in their faith, you know, it's grounded in this like very uh, pure desire, which is just to be able to provide for the people that he cares about. And to, you know, that, that like human desire to like believe that you are something better than just scum at the bottom of the earth, right? And the rules of empire is it's done through money, through resources, and through power. And then you see that he realizes that that's not the way to go. And that actually the 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 kingdom rules and the way that the kingdom works when it comes to the messages of Jesus is around community. It's around love. It's around providing for your fellow man and not just for yourself, the giving away of everything that you have, that you gain everything. And I love that kind of dichotomy that you see of these systems of power and the ways that they too have pushed this, this messaging around earning your way through money, resources, power, and kind of the way that's flipped on its head and the way that Clarence realizes, you know, there's a different way to live that actually is far more purposeful and far more life-giving, not just for himself, or, but for everyone around him and his community that he cares about. Um, just that it's this like ethos shift that happens in him. Um, but of course, before that, you know, like the, everyone that he sees around him, Jedediah the Terrible, you know, he's earned his way through his riches and his power. Um, same thing with the Rome, Roman uh, oppressors that he sees around him. That is the picture of earning your way to be somebody that he's been, he's been maybe taught or fed throughout his life. And you see the way that he kind of challenges that idea by the end of the movie. So I thought that was such a like insightful way to frame that root core desire within all of us to believe that we are worth something beyond just um, to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. And, and how his mom sees that and, you know, Elijah sees it, Berenia sees it, you know, uh, but he doesn't see it at first and he has bought into the lie and is, it's, it is kind of fascinating because he starts out as kind of this like rebellious kid you know he's he's part of the system but like not at the same time like he's trying to not be but doesn't really know how to like fully extricate himself out of that uh and then you see by the end he is he has found that subversive way to live uh and then of course the oppressors don't like that so (laughs) it, it ends kind of badly for him but it is it is interesting to think about how much uh, those like man made structures and systems are so present in this, and and what Clarence has to do to really free himself from its clutches. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And one of the other kind of journeys that Clarence goes on that I found really compelling is this dichotomy that's kind of littered throughout the film around knowledge and belief. Um, you know, <laughs> his whole message to the people as the new Messiah, when they're doing that whole scheme is around this like elevation of knowledge and that knowledge ultimately is the most prized possession. It's the thing that you can anchor in. And he kind of scoffs at this idea of faith or belief or whatnot. And by the end of the movie, when Jesus comes to visit him in the tomb, he's, I forget the exact wording of the last line, but it basically is this idea that like to know and to believe can coexist together. And I feel like it's such a, um, re-examination of like the very western enlightenment ideal around like the pursuit of knowledge and that knowledge is the thing that unlocks our ability to uncover truth and we kind of see knowledge and belief somehow as two sides of a dichotomy and that one cannot exist Uh, One exists without the other. And I love that at the end, it's actually not even a rejection of one or the other. It's the the fact that it's through the the coexisting of these two things together that we find um, that is where we can anchor in. And it's, it's very like philosophical, like concept that I feel like James Samuel's woven so intentionally throughout this movie, because we revisit, revisit this so many times 
and Clarence's kind of elevation of knowledge. We see Thomas on the other side of the spectrum that's pure, like, no, you just got to have faith and believe. And by the end of the movie, we kind of land with the ability for both of these truths and these statements to exist at the same time together. Um, and the movie ends with that. So I felt like that was such a insightful piece. I feel like I'm still mulling over that, but it's it really is this um, examination of this Western like upholding of the pursuit of like knowledge, scientific observation, like you, what's true is only what you can see and kind of asks us to contend with that a little bit more and, and like grapple with that. Yeah, I, I love how nuanced this film is. Uh, I think that's especially valuable given what like Western Christianity has been like for so long. I, I feel like so much of at least the church that like I grew up in and I was a part of was very black and white. And it was very much that like, yeah, we believe, but we know and we are right. And this is the way to follow Jesus and like very like stuck in the rut, entrenched doctrine, faith, like all of that. And I, I love that this movie is like, yeah, cool. Knowledge, good. Truth, good. Facts, good. Awesome. But there's also other stuff going on here. And I just, I loved, I loved that nuanced perspective. And I, I think that that's so important, especially in like church culture and church conversations to be able to have that space for the gray. And I, I feel like this movie in some ways is an exploration of that. And, and sometimes you will know certain things and sometimes you will believe certain things and, and you can have both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And you can also see how things are shifting and changing over time and that's okay. You can shift and change too. And so, I don't know, I, I think anytime that nuance can be added to a conversation about faith, I think is usually helpful and usually pretty freeing. So again, I didn't expect all this to come from the book of Clarence, but there's so much here to think so deeply on about many different facets of life, including faith and belief and, and, and how we live those things out. It's crazy. It's so surprising because I think that like if you go into this movie, maybe if you watch the trailer or if you look at the premise, it's you don't expect it. Um, I think and, and even from the first 20 minutes of the movie, you wouldn't expect there to be so much richness here. And, and I think what I also love about this movie, which is the case from for all great art, is that it, it invites you into – these ideas but it doesn't it doesn't shove everything anything down your throat there's not like a manifesto mm -hmm. that it's looking to yeah. impart to you it's not buttoned up and structured in in giving you its thesis it's kind of asking you to just come and examine and uh invite you into the gray like you mentioned and let you figure out what you believe about somewhere in the gray but the maybe its thesis is that there's a lot more beyond what we've been given and told as truth, as the narratives that we believe today. Uh, and like, come, come and explore more is kind of the, the way that it is, is uh, asking you to come and engage with it. Mm -hmm. Which is a great invitation. Like, yes, let's explore more about the things that we yeah. believe and not just limited to faith, you know, let's explore the way that we've been taught around politics, about history, about all of these complex themes that are directly affecting our, our lives today. Let's, let's just explore. Let's, let's interrogate what we've always been taught, you know, and, and just see what new things can be learned, see what freedom can be found there. Because, mm -hmm. I don't know, there's, there's more than just what we've inherited. There's more than just what we've been taught. And, mm -hmm. and I love that this movie is, like you said, it's just saying, hey, come on. This is fun. Come and explore with us. It's great. Yeah, you're so right. And to, to give it and package it with that idea of fun and uh, to give it that, in, that kind of like the ability for it to be palatable and accessible for people, I think is so key because 
a whole population I'm sure is turned away if this is the like a dramatic retelling with some of these like changes made it's like it's kind of like silly and hilarious and you're laughing and having a good time and along the way perhaps there, there's some ideas that have been uprooted um and you can replant them as you see fit. But I think that that wrapping in humor and in comedy is, is vital for, I think, this to work as well as it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when doing what this film is doing, you know, taking a biblical epic that has yeah. historically yeah. been portrayed by white people and <laughs> centered around white people and and kind of flipping it on its head. Like, you need to set out like right from the start to let us know that this is something different. You know, this movie is not trying to be biblically accurate, but it's using the the biblical epic as a vehicle to get us to think about these different things. And I think starting off with with humor is a great way to show like, hey, this is not if you came in here <laughs> expecting Ben-Hur, uh, you are wrong. We got a different yeah. movie that's a lot more fun. So buckle in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also, you know, like traditionally this genre has been so sensitive by the people that are watching and consuming it because of the amount of criticism that will come around Mm -hmm. some detail that isn't accurate or the way that this is portrayed leaned too heavily into this and that's not the real that's not what actually happened not even just like historical accuracy but even the spirit of some of these like stories that are so meaningful for people that believe in this faith tradition and uh, believe seems to be true, like this can get real sensitive real fast. So like, that's why I thought of Jojo Rabbit. Cause I was like, my goodness, the, the like willingness and audacity to tackle a subject matter like this and to do it in this way is something that um, is not for the faint of heart and is incredibly risky. And so I just really respect the willingness to go there and to play in that arena and to like uproot a bunch of things. Like talk about the fastest way to like sink your career if you do this poorly. You know what I mean? And you just invite the <laughs> slew of people yeah. that are so upset with you because you've hit on something that is so near and dear to them. Ooh, not for the faint of heart. So the like artistic audacity I just applaud I really do mm-hmm. yeah and and again he nailed it James Samuel yeah. and the entire crew all of the cast like nailed it and uh that is not an easy thing to do like you watch some movies and you're like oh that was good that was well executed but like the premise was safe and so you're like yeah that was that was fine but like this this premise is not safe there are he is tap dancing through a minefield with this movie and it is exceptionally well done Mm -hmm. yep man so good so good this shouldn't work as well as it does but it really does Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah it does had Okay, any other last thoughts about the Book of Clarence before we wrap up? Uh, Jen, did you notice any pinky rings in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Whenever you ask me this question, I'm like, let me replay this movie because I did not notice any single pinky ring. But I have some, I can guess. I'm great at guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Pontius Pilate had maybe he, something in there maybe he didn't i at least not that i saw i don't know um, i know what about I was like, that was a miss roman soldiers i'm sure the roman soldiers i mean they love to just like deck themselves out with shiny things i didn't spot any on the roman soldiers and my okay. my hypothesis for that is they were in uniform so like maybe that wasn't part of the uniform mm, yeah Okay, because, my like, next guess. if anybody's going to have one, it's going to be Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers, but they didn't. At least not that I saw. I might have missed one. I don't know. Okay. Um, my next guess is Jedediah the Terrible. You nailed it. Specifically, specifically in the scene where they, like, enter into his lair. <laughs> yes. Yep. Really? He is wearing one there. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. That is a great moment, too, because that scene, he is still 
you know, give me my money mode. Mm-hmm. I don't care about you. I care about my money <laughs> so that I can continue yep. to pay the mortgage on my lair. It was a yeah. very involved lair. There were like multiple layers yeah. to get to the big I, boss. I was impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to do a layer, that's how you do it. Take some mm-hmm. notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. A lot going on. You got to go mm-hmm. through at least like seven different rooms yeah. to like basically get to the to the middle, 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 middle of the yeah. entire conclave. It's <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's how you so do good. it. Wow. Are there any other thank you rings? Yes. So okay. I have no more guesses. Uh, Clarence wears one for a portion of the film. So Which part? At the beginning, he is not wearing mm. one. And then once he starts getting famous and getting money from exploiting the people's faith, he starts wearing a pinky oh. ring. But wow. by the end of the movie, like when he does the walk on water scene, he is no longer wearing a pinky ring. Mm. And I thought that that was really fascinating uh because i don't know i feel like that lines up with my hypothesis of when a it dude lines wears up. a pinky ring he's a bad yes. guy because <laughs> he takes it off well, when he becomes good again <laughs> yeah that's what i was gonna say is that like these are better data points than even just the ones that are just pure evil from start to finish you know because the timing of said pinky ring is perfectly aligned with mm-hmm. their evil tendency periods, <laughs> yes. you know, and the minute that they become good and good begins to win, you know, they just look at their hands and they're like, I don't need this. <laughs> I must shiny take thing this off. Anymore. Yes. <laughs> this is a thing of my very ugly side and we don't need that anymore. So I feel like these data points are particularly particularly good for the hypothesis Mm -hmm. yep and I think I don't know maybe the maybe the hypothesis needs continued like refinement because I think it's also usually like wealthy men who have like gained their money from shady means is usually like what it is you know like it's 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 a status of a certain level of wealth or power that a man will usually wear a pinky ring in a movie. So I don't okay. know. I, we're, we're still refining. So like bad guy might be like too general, though I do think that the hypothesis still, still lines up with that. But uh, I think it's even maybe a subset of that. Wow. The hypothesis is narrowing. That's some exciting stuff. Which honestly is so much fun because we know that like it's hit or miss with women. So it's usually, it's usually straight white dudes who, if they're wearing a pinky ring, they're a bad guy in a movie. Like usually that is the subset, but I don't know. It could, maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. So Mm. we will continue to refine. Mm. I like it. (laughs) This very important mission that we're on. You know, I had a thought editing our last episode because we talked about pinky rings in that one too. It was like, just sitting there editing and listening to that section. I'm like, just, I'm so surprised. This thesis is very good. The amount of data points that have been gathered is kind of appalling. Because, you know, when we talk about them, I'm like, oh, what a funny new data point. No, but like I zoomed out for a hot second. I was like, there's so many data points that support this thesis. It's kind of wild to me. I think we're really on to something. There are a lot. And I think that's why I developed the hypothesis in the first place, because I would notice it and I'd be like, oh, he's wearing a pinky ring. He's a bad guy. And then the movie would reveal that pinky ring man is a bad guy. And I went, oh, well, that's easy. That really helps, especially if you're watching like a murder mystery and a dude has a pinky ring. It's like, oh, he's the killer. Easy. Got it. Mm. Next. Like... Mm -hmm. These are your, like, detective uh, Mm -hmm. brain cells that were sewed in deep when you were a young child (laughs) watching. I forget what the name of that show was. Uh, Columbo, Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis Murder, Matlock, like, all of the, like, old school detective shows were my jam. Yes. Loved them. The the eye has been trained quite well. (laughs) It's true. I look for the little details that are going to solve the case. Even if I'm not watching a mystery... Gotta look out for something. (laughs) Oh, I love it. 
All right, well, this was our review and discussion of the Book of Clarence. You can find it available out in theaters, and we highly recommend checking out this movie. It's very, very good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. So everyone is welcome here, and we're so glad you spent time with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a rating and review, letting us know your thoughts about the Book of Clarence. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Movies and Us Pod or email us at Movies and Us Pod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Anatomy of a Fall. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week.